My name is Mike Campbell. You're listening to Money Talks. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. If you know what that means, it means that you get paid first. It also has no fees attached to it, and it's in the tech area. So for more information, go to soleraclub.com. I want to start today with a subject that on the surface you may say, who cares? But I'm asking you to stay with me because I think it has a profound impact on not only public discourse, but ultimately public policy. And I think it reflects arguably the biggest irreconcilable differences in this country. And it became crystal clear for me with things like the Keystone debate and the ultimate rejection of the pipeline by President Obama. It was reinforced with the votes on university campuses like UBC and Fryman's Fraser to divest of oil, natural gas, nuclear, and coal investments. I'm sitting there saying, neither of those actions make any difference. They don't reduce greenhouse gases one iota. And in the case of Keystone's rejection, it's going to actually raise CO2 emissions because the oil will instead be transported by train or truck. Now, if topping Keystone was a symbol, it's tough to argue it made one iota of difference given that 19,000-plus kilometers of pipeline were built in the U.S. from 2010 to last year. But the response I got is, you simply don't get it. You don't understand. These are symbolic things. At that point, I realized there's no common ground with that type of thinking. All my talk of practical action means nothing just as my view that the need for symbolism has long since ended. That meant nothing to them. This difference of approach is not going to be overcome, and it's going to be the root of a ton of societal discord. I've said on other occasions I'm squarely in the camp that thinks that practical steps need to be taken in order to solve our problems. Grand gestures without specific actions are meaningless, and actually they're usually self-serving. See, my point is that We've been talking about homelessness or poverty for 50-plus years. We've been talking about global warming for 25 years. We're well past the need for symbols or lip service to solve our most pressing problems. I mean, grandiose words, happy talk, is not going to feed a single person or improve the life, uh, the lives on some native reserves. Clearly, the self-described progressive left disagrees with me. In fact, they get angry. When I look at my emails, really angry when I say, hey, cut the BS. It's time for specific action plans. And don't just put political considerations first. Those plans need to be critically evaluated against the research that's available in historical experience. And then specific steps must be taken and constantly evaluated. But that doesn't mean a thing to a ton of Canadians who are now enamored with form over substance. The move on university campuses to divest of energy investments makes absolutely no difference to the production of energy products. doesn't change any CO2 emissions. And in their own words, they say global warming is of such an acute nature that, in quotes, immediate action must be taken. Well, signing a petition is not immediate action. There's nothing ambiguous about those words. It means swearing off cars, air travel, products with a petroleum base, reducing your personal housing footprint. But that's not what they're doing. They signed a petition. What is that, a five-second gesture? That would do nothing to reduce CO2 emissions. But again, I'm told I don't get it. It's the symbolism that counts. What's interesting, by the way, is how vitriolic the responses to that are. Obviously, pointing that out is not popular. As some say in a much less polite manner, I'm an idiot. I just don't get it. But those who trumpet the importance of symbolism want no part 
of critical anything, no critical thinking, no critical evaluation. They don't put forward specific plans. David Suzuki continues to offer wonderful examples of that attitude. As he stated last month, he thinks former Prime Minister Stephen Harper should be thrown in jail for failing to follow his climate agenda. And it's not the first time he's expressed that caliber of intolerance. In Canada, politically, the symbolism side is clearly won out over the practical. We elect leaders for saying the right thing. Justin Trudeau understands that in spades, and he's very good at it. I would hope that most people have noticed that we're living in a world awash with economic and financial problems, and none of them are going to be solved with symbolic gestures or by saying the right thing. I bet the 100,000 people who've lost their jobs as a result in the decline of oil and gas couldn't care less that Canada's back, couldn't care less what the elites of Davos, Switzerland think of us. That kind of glad talk is pure Torontonian elitist cocktail party drivel. Grown-ups understand that no words or symbols are going to solve the debt crisis. They know they're not going to help us with $244 billion in unfunded public sector pension liabilities. And yet symbolism is valued far more than action in politics. Which is why, personally, I am more sure than ever that solutions are not forthcoming. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. For more information on Solera Club, go to soleraclub.com. I'm taking a break. I'll come back. Top three stories of the week. I've also got a big fat idea. And wait till you hear my quote of the week. It's, probably in, it's in my lineup anyways as my favorite quote ever. We'll do that at the top of the hour. Stay with us. Coming up, I've got my first audio shocking stat. I think you'll enjoy it. I also have what I would put in my short list as my favorite quote of all time coming up in the quote of the week. Right now, Michael Levy joins me. The top three stories that smart people are talking about. Kick us off with number three, Mike. Well, Mike, I should have finished last week's one of the top stories was the possible $30 billion deficit on coming from the federal government by the time all spending and infrastructure spending and everything else takes place. And to be continued, well, here we go again. The, we have two of Canada's big banks, Scotiabank and CIBC, urging Ottawa to spend $20 billion in rapid stimulus. And in the case of Scotia, they want that spent by 2017, mid-year. As far as CIBC is concerned, that $20 billion in infrastructure spending should be spent by the end of this year. Yeah, what's interesting about this, though, obviously this has been a really top-of-mind subject. One, because I think the public demands, in quotes, the government do something. But two, uh, you know, let's keep in mind that even if they doubled that number to $20 billion, they were pr- promising 10 to $20 billion, that represents 1% of the gross domestic product. There is no way this is rescuing the economy. And then even worse, Mike, we know where the challenges are. We know they're in Alberta, Newfoundland, uh, Saskatchewan. But this is not going to be isolated to those regions. It's going to be spread across the country. So, for example, B.C. leads the country in uh you know, economic growth, it doesn't really need the government's help on this one. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not worried about the deficit borrowing at, say, a 2% level for 10 years. I, I just worried about the politics of all this. Well, Mike, and, and you're so right on that. And the stimulus program will be for everybody lining up with their tin cups, 
to get the political uh, 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 favors that are going to be handed out by Ottawa. And obviously, not only do they want to jumpstart the economy, but it becomes a political move. But, yeah. Mike, even if it is just a tiny percentage of our GDP, uh, TD projects about a $30 billion a year for five-year deficit that puts us back into $150 billion added to the national debt. May not be a lot of money, Mike, but I certainly have a long memory to the point where it was spend, spend, and then spend some more and deficit and debt be damned. Certainly don't want to see that happen again. Yeah, so the key is where the money gets spent, and we don't know those details yet. Where and how? I can give you tons of infrastructure projects. Like right now in Toronto, they're lighting their hair on fire over the white elephant that is the rapid train coming from downtown Toronto out to the airport. On paper, everyone cheers this. It has proven to be a disaster. The the big O Stadium in Montreal, another infrastructure project. Fast ferries out in British Columbia. There's just a litany of these. So we need to see the details. Then we need to see how they're built. So uh, there's really a to be continued on this one. What about number two? Well, this, Mike, I, this was a bit of a head-turner for me. Uh, while oil gets all the headlines, natural gas has plummeted to 18-year lows. ACO, A-E-C-O, that's the Alberta benchmark natural gas price, stood at $1.28 per million cubic feet on Thursday. It's its lowest level in, eight, in 18 years, and storage has exceeded the five-year average. Listen to this, $1.28. Per million cubic feet. Yeah, and this is a big story, as you say, Mike, absolutely correctly, that oil gets all the headlines. But we've seen it here, the impact economically, uh, you know, the number of rigs that are out there actively, uh, you know, in the natural gas field. Well, Mike, absolutely. And um, in 2000, uh, j- just to go back a little bit, in 2000 and 2005, natural gas was at $12. Uh, as recently as 214, it hit $7. And Mike, uh, a, a point that you made to me when you and I were discussing this is why do you think that the environment and the greenhouse gases are so much less in the United States and in Canada than they are in Europe? Because we've switched to natural gas, but even with all that demand, forecasts are for natural gas to fall below a dollar per million cubic feet. Yeah, I mean, but look at the rig count. Uh, You know, 207 uh, uh, this time in 2015, it's dropped to 63. That's part of the contraction of the Canadian economy. And you're quite right. I mean, in the U.S., the progress that they've made in in, uh, uh, greenhouse gases has had a heck of a lot to do with the adoption of natural gas. so it's a, it's a fascinating story, but I'm glad you brought it up. 18-year lows. What's the number one story? Uh, well, Mike, number one story, and this to me was, when I saw it, this belongs in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, honest to God, Jimmy Patterson's Ripley, Ripley's Believe It or Not. And it's just the sheer number that got to me. We all know the real estate market in Metro Vancouver is on fire, but Vancouver Home Sales set a new rump, a record jumping 65.5% in the month of February from January. I mean, what kind of a number is that? And, Mike, just one quick stat, and we can get into this. All residential properties in Metro Vancouver, there were 4,172 sales in February 2016. That is a 36.3% jump over a year ago, and as I said, a 65.5% increase 
from January. This market is ablaze, Michael. Yeah, I, there's not much else to say about it, Mike. Obviously, it just shows how frothy the market is, all the adjectives we can throw at it. But bottom line, as you say, a monster jump. They've been telling us for five years this has got to slow down. Well, that point hasn't hit us yet. Uh, we got, we're got we run out of time here, Mike. We'll have to talk more next week, and there'll be plenty of subjects to talk about. Have a good weekend, Mike. Thanks, Mike. We'll take a break. Come back. Big fat idea next. Coming up, Tyler Bullhorn talking about being a contrarian investor. You know when things drop, you say, hey, I'm going to buy it because it's low. Well, maybe it's low for a good reason. I'm going to help him, uh, or he'll share with us, how do you make that distinction? Is it low for a good reason, or maybe it's a good buy? Coming up, and my quote of the week. Right now, though, time for the big fat idea. Drew Zimmerman calling me in from PI International, PI Financial. Drew, thanks for finding time with us. Uh, What's the big idea? Well, Mike, my big idea for this week is I think we're going to see a strong U.S. dollar again, and I think we're going to see that based on the expectation of Fed policy. Well, explain that a little bit more. What The expectation meaning that they're going to rise or, or what? Exactly. So it's not necessarily Fed policy itself that really changes the markets, but the expectation of what we're going to see out of the Fed policy. So around the turn of the year, the Fed had come and told us that we were going to see four interest rate increases in 2016. However, as we moved into this year, the market said, we don't think so. We don't believe you. So the expectation was that the Fed would not be moving. And I think that sentiment has swung too far in the past two and a half months. We've seen that across uh, various different assets. But I think we could see that expectation start to change again, that the Fed may actually have to come in and, and raise rates again this year. Okay, let me come back on this. So so in December, the Fed's saying, hey, guess what? We're raising it now. We're going to raise another four times. We get into January, and of course, we know how weak the markets were and some of the other sentiment figures. So all of a sudden, the market starts saying, you know what? I don't think so. We've watched the Canadian dollar rally against that. We've watched the euro rally, the yen rally. And what you're saying is, we may swing back the other way. Now the sentiment may start saying, hey, you know what? Maybe they will raise. That's exactly it, Mike. And you just have to think of the the sentiment like a pendulum in the market. And it had swung so far against any good news that we had out there. Equity markets were stumbling. China uh, really tripped us up at the start of the year. And now we're starting to see maybe a little positive data. And the U.S. really could get back into a position where, we have to get back to interest rate increases. And, and yeah, and the if they Fed, do raise rates, as you're saying, Drew, if, well, if they raise rates, you're going to watch that U.S. dollar kick higher. You'll watch the Canadian dollar come down. Really simple reason is like if you've got two banks and one bank starts offering higher interest rates, hey, the money pours in there. Uh, it, like obviously we could just go down to one of the places and do an exchange. I can exchange my Canadian dollars for U.S. dollars. What other ways, uh, and I know they should talk to their financial advisor, but what other ways uh, can they play this move? Well, I think it's something everybody needs to be aware of. The U.S. dollar will impact everybody in our own way. Uh, Me being more of a trader, I'm definitely looking at it uh, from this perspective of what's had a big move since the start of the year. So we've had, like you said, the yen go from 80 to 90. We've had Canada go from 68 to 75. Sorry, 75 now. We've had gold go from 1050 to 1275. And I know I wouldn't be very popular, but I'm getting a little worried with the run in some of these things. And because they are priced in U.S. dollars, 
I'd be looking for a pullback of these assets that have had a, a great run so far. Do you have a sort of a time frame here? Like, so obviously you're going to be maybe looking to take positions on in the next few weeks, but uh, when do you think you'll take them off? And I know it's a, that's a real guess kind of crystal ball thing, but just to give us an idea. No, that's, that's very important. And uh, I'm really looking at June as being a very possible uh, month that we'd see an in, in, increase in interest rates. So I'm looking at, you know, we're four months to June. If, if we do go to an increase in June, we're really going to see, I think, the breakout of the U.S. dollar in the next four months. However, I think that we could see it carry on even further. So I'm kind of looking at this with a, a four to six month time horizon. Interesting stuff. I mean, the currencies have been where it's at. There's been such dramatic moves, huge opportunities there. Drew Zimmerman works at PI Financial in Vancouver. For more information, just give them a call at PI Financial in Vancouver. You want to chat about this, but you could do it ETF. You can just exchange dollars. You could do it in the futures market. Lots of ways to participate in the U.S. dollar currency. Drew, thanks for finding time this weekend. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Great stuff. Hey, by the way, coming up, Tyler Bullhorn, and, and I'm going to ask that question. I just alluded to it, but it is an important one. You get these huge volatility moves and, uh, you know, creating strong down moves or strong up moves. And a lot of people say, well, I'm going to buy that because it's cheap or because it's fallen. Well, maybe it's down there for a good reason. But at the same time, then, contrary investors go, yeah, that's an opportunity. He's going to explain that to us coming up from StockScores.com. The other thing i got to say, if you're not taking advantage of what we're doing on MoneyTalks.net, you're crazy. There's all sorts of great free information there. I hope you do listen to the business comment. Uh, It's on there every day. You can review anything you've heard here, and you can get the midweek interview report because an educated public is a good public. You don't have to agree with anything, but there's tons of great information at moneytalks.net. I'll take a break. I'll come back. I've got with me the top quote of the week and Tyler Bullhorn. Stay with us.